Outpost Gallifrey presents Doctor Who Podshock, episode 90. This episode is actually part 2, 89 being part 1, of Doctor Who Podshock Live. It ran a bit long, so we decided to split it into two. So this picks up where episode 89 of Doctor Who Podshock leaves off. This is uh, Doctor Who Podshock Live. The 2007 series review, or also known as Series 3. So if you have not seen Series 3 in its entirety, spoiler alert, there may be spoilers that follows. So we pick up where we left off, already in progress, Doctor Who, Pachak Live, Series 3, or 2007 series review. Talk Recorded live. Live from where a sci-fi magazine with David Tennant's face on it costs seven ninety nine and not four quid. It's Doctor Who, Pod Shock. We got a lot of callers um, in the queue, so I want to get to our callers. Our first one up, we're going back across the pond, I believe. I think we're in Israel with Lebe- with um, Lebetkin. Hello. Hello. How are you? Very Welcome good, back. Yes. I am across the pond, just a different pond. Yes. <laughs> a pond nonetheless. Indeed. So, um, uh, what what can we um, what what can we gather from you about your feelings about uh, this past series? And um, just for the sake of brevity, instead uh, of going episode by episode, just some general feelings on um, certain points that highlights that you want to touch upon. Okay, it was good. Okay. Next call now. I think it was. I'm not sure which one I prefer, this one or the first series. I, I definitely prefer it as a season to any of the classic seasons. Um, I, I I think it might 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 be the strongest season. Um, I thought I liked it. It started very strongly in my mind. I liked the uh, uh, what's the name, the Jadoon, because I thought yeah, it's, it's good to have something the kids can play in the playground the the, the first week it's on. Yeah. The, you know, it, it gets ratings, gets people involved, gets people excited. And I, I think I'm the only one who really enjoyed the Shakespeare Code. I thought that was a rattling fun one. I don't, I'm not going story by story. I'm sorry. You know, that's okay. Uh, but I also like Gridlock as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, okay, the, for me, the only weak points in the season was the Lazarus experiment. And that's only because I don't think the CGI was, was that convincing. And I think I think that hurt the last of the time laws as well because I thought the um, the 900 year old doctor should have looked a bit more bit more scary rather than looking a bit like what's the name uh, from Harry Potter Dobby no Dobby <laughs> it would look like Gollum that'd be fine yeah um, but yeah no I, I really thought it was um, a consistently very very high yeah uh, very high season I don't think they're going to change the uh, the structure next year. I think, I think the only people who notice the repetitive structure is us, but we're just a tiny part of the uh, the viewing figures. M- most people like most people like a big um, crescendo to end. Mm-hmm. They, they they like an event, and it, it, it you know it makes it a fi- a, fi- a fixture in uh, you know families viewing habits. So um, yeah, I thought it was great. Um, I hope so. I, I, I'm pretty sure this is going to be Russell T. Davis last year. I hope Stephen Moffat is going to take over, and we'll have a very different season, season five. Yeah, well, you know, obviously it's been circulated, and um, you know that Russell T. Davies wants to move on, and um, and that's part of the series. It's always been a case where um, you know you change producers and the series moves. I'm thinking the series right now, uh, the the Jekyll series, is an audition to to run Doctor Who. Yeah, well, obviously he is a producer and and a, and a very talented writer, so um, 
you know. Yeah, no, I, I think I think this is the season five. What um, what's name? Casanova was the season two. When Casanova came on, I really thought, especially when Eccleston said he was quitting, I really thought that it was an audition for David Tennant to take over. Mm-hmm. So I I I, I could live with there being a full season of Blinks and yeah. Empty Child. <laughs> Yeah, Blink, yeah. Uh, Blink, but I, I'm going to sign off because you got more people. But Blink for me was at the high spot of the season. But it, yeah, had, it, had a strong, it had a strong build up from 42, which I thought was great, and uh, Human Nature was just out this world. And I really liked the the, the closing two, closing mm-hmm. three. You know, just to comment quickly on 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 the possibility of Moffat taking over. You know, you have a you have a chance there, based on his track record, that it's going to be a very with the with the dark gothic horror, you know that that there's a, a dark element. It's spooky without it being overtly scary. Our next one up is uh, Trevor. Hello, Trevor. Yes, hello. How are you doing, Lewis? And everybody else. Good to have you back on board. Where, uh, just to remind people, where you're calling from? Uh, Terre Haute, Indiana. At least at the moment. So. <laughs> Good to have you on Podshock. Oh, thanks. Uh, I've uh, been listening to a lot of people's comments, and uh, it's kind of interesting, you know, now that, you know, we've wrapped it up, and, of course, Sci-Fi Channel's showing uh, the episodes. So it's kind of a way to get caught up a little bit on the earlier parts of the season and uh, uh, kind of review things, uh, like sort of maybe a second time. I did kind of actually find that um, watching episodes a second, a second time gave me a better, you know, how should I say a better feel for them. Like I'd look at them and go, oh, you know, maybe I was a little bit harsh when I looked at it the first time around. And uh, second viewing, I was going, you know, looking at it from a different point of view. But, you know, it's it's uh, maybe some of the things I was critical of. I was, uh, shall we say, you know, I was like, hey, you know, maybe, that, maybe that's not quite such a, I shouldn't take such a dim view. But um, I guess I, I have to echo everyone else's feelings on the idea that I like this season in the sense it is very, it does seem like they found their footing. It is very much more consistent uh, episode per episode. Um, but I do still think, I, yeah, the second season works. Uh, we just lost you there, Trevor. The second, the second series is what? Uh, has a fonder place in my heart, I guess, mm-hmm. than, than series three. Um, not because I think series three doesn't live up to that, but I, I think because you now have the companion for a second year, um, we've you know the first season in many ways sort of reintroduces us to the character, reintroduces us to uh, the mythology, and also establishes what is the new groundwork, what are the new rules. He's the last of the Time Lords now. He's he's gone through these experiences. Um, you know, the Doctor has, has, has reached this new point in his life, if you will, and not quite such the carefree wanderer. Mm-hmm. It's sort of the build-up to his what will be another loss for him. It's sort of like, it, and I think that was the, the brilliant part of it. You know, Rose and, and the Doctor are having this great, happy, wonderful, fun time. And yet, you always get these little sort of flashes of like, it's not going to be a very fun time much longer uh, when they when Mickey leaves and it, it causes Rose some pain and some heartache, um, so on and so forth. When the doctor re-encounters Sarah and he's sort of reminded of what he leaves behind when he yeah. you know, moves on. And so it, it, it was a beautiful way to sort of set you up for the big fall. Um, you know, this season... You know, I think I'd mentioned this before when we talked last, uh, when I was on uh, a couple weeks back, and it was like the first part of the season, as good as many parts of it are, I mean, technically and stylistically, and um, even I, I, I'll agree uh, with Lebetnik. Uh, I really actually like the Shakespeare Code. Just watched it again on Friday on Sci-Fi Channel, and then I watched again the copy that I have from, uh, uh, well, shall we say, alternate sources, and... Um, I actually do enjoy all the pieces of it. It's just there's something, an element that's sort of missing in those first episodes up through Lazarus' experiment. I think I said it, it's lacking some heart. It's lacking some emotional connection to sort of hold you into the show. Mm-hmm. And I think that's partly because, well, we got very used to the second in the second series this very firm bond between the Doctor and his companion. We knew what kind of feeling, you know, you can, you know, people can deny whether it's romantic or people can argue it's another kind of relation, but obviously it's a very, very close personal emotional connection between the two characters. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And this one, it's it's not quite there yet, and you can kind of understand it can't be, and yet they're still off to the races, and they can't really go slow tilt. You can't just build that like we really kind of saw in a way happen, I think, with it, with the Eccleston character, uh, Eccleston's portrayal of the Doctor. But, um, yeah. but, um, but that said, I think mid-season, um, you know, even 42, which at first I had the same problems a lot of people did with it, like, yeah, it's a... It seems like a condensed version of Impossible Planet, Satan Pit, and there, there's something. The second viewing, I was kind of like, you know, it's not as bad. If I just sort of, if I try to block that part of it out of my mind, and I kind of go, this is just a, it's supposed to be sort of their version of 24. It's supposed to be, you know, a minute by minute, real time. This is the pressure you're in, and you've got to come up with a solution. Um, but uh, definitely the second half of the, of the series three is where it really picks up and, uh, uh yeah, the high points definitely the human nature, family of blood, which are great, um, and uh, Blink, which I think we all are just uh, absolutely very, very impressed with. Um, and then, uh, you know, as far as the, uh, the 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 final three-parter, I actually um, I'm not disappointed with Last of the Time Lords like some were. Yes, the CGI I will admit wasn't really great for uh, the the 900-year-old tenant or, or ninth Doctor, if you will, but. Um, you know, I, I, there's only so much I think you can really achieve with those, and when you're on a TV budget as opposed to, say, a Lord of the Rings budget, you know, that's a – or, you know, uh, I think there's, there's just only so much you can achieve. Yeah. Um, and besides, we're Doctor Who fans. We, you know, dealt with wobbly sets and you know, <laughs> bubble wrap. We, this is, you know, we can forgive that. Oh, yeah. No, Sims Master, I thought, was great. Uh, one of the things I remember, uh, and I don't know if this is something I think um, – it may be in survival uh, when it comes out on DVD, but I seem to recall there's actually a uh, discussion with Ain. Uh, no, it was Planet of Fire, if I remember correctly. There's actually some some outtakes of where Ainley really tried to act the master the way he wanted to do it, where it was a much more subdued, a much more sort of cunning, devious mm-hmm. portrayal with what he had always wanted. But JNT always told him, no, no, I want you to be over the top. I want you to be the mustache twirling, guys tied the girl up onto the railroad tracks and waiting yeah. for Dudley Do-Right to come by and pick her up. And that's the kind of villain I want you to play. And he would tell him, no, if you start acting like that, do it again. Um, and he sort of felt sorry for Ainley's portrayal. It's, it's, it's sort of like when I hear people kind of criticize it, I go, you know, it's really not his fault. Um, survival is probably, yeah, that's why I was thinking of survival. That's the one where he finally actually maybe got to play it the way he really wanted to, where mm-hmm. it's much more subdued, uh, uh, you know. And uh, whereas, you know, I, I, so I'm kind of glad that, you know, Sim uh, got a chance to sort of take us away from that and played this this much more sort of beguiling, uh, really mad individual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and, uh, you know, I remember, I think I remember Ken making a comment, uh, on last of the time where he's like, well, I wasn't convinced when, you know, the doctor's holding him and crying and, you know, he's dying. And I'm like, you know, I, in the back of my mind, I know that's going to happen. Um, and yes, it was very Flash Gordon being the merciless <laughs> Flash Gordon 80s movie <laughs> ending yeah. for, for him. But at the same time, like, even though I know that, uh, just seeing how Tennant portrayed it, you know, his his character does believe it. I think, I, and that's what I believed. You know, that's what I felt when I saw that, and that and that sense of you know this desperation that he had that I he had. No, I think we just lost you again, Trevor. Are you still there? All right, I think we lost Trevor. Trevor, I do apologize. I think we lost you there. So, uh, but thank you for your comments. We're gonna uh, go to our... Trevor. Are you there? I'm here. Well, I can hear you. Oh, okay. You're, we're hearing you again. Did you okay. Just wanna... I don't know what it is. I can hear you perfectly fine, so I don't know what's going on. With the... All right. Oh. Yeah, we lo- you, you just dropped out there for Weird. Uh, okay. Well, no, I'll, I'll, let me go. I'll just kind of wrap it up a bit, though, you know, because I do want to let others kind of have a chance. But, um, yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I would just say that I, I think uh, as far as uh, where we're going with the series, I'm really very – I don't know. I'm a little apprehensive. I'm kind of like of two minds of Don. Um, yeah. So for Series 4, I'm kind of worried about that. But we do leave her at a point where she says, well, I'm going to stop temping. I'm going to, I'm going to travel the world. I'm going to learn a little bit more about the world. So maybe we'll find a Donna Noble who's not the sort of, you know, uh, I don't know, as her, as her uh, fiancé Lance said, you know, all obsessed with Brangelina and on, on and on about trivia nights and 
you know, maybe we'll have someone with a little more depth. And then we don't have to worry about reintroducing her to the TARDIS or psychic paper or sonic screwdrivers. She's just ready to go. So, mm-hmm. so I'm looking forward to that, hopefully. Yeah. That, um, you know, we spoke about this last week, but, the, the, you know, the two companions that we'll have for the next series will be already, in a sense, established companions. So we don't have it unless they introduce yet another one. We don't have, an, you know, go through the whole introduction story, so to speak, because they've already been introduced which is great because the audience doesn't need to be introduced again. Yeah, that's that. That'll be the, the everything sort of set in a way, and that may be your beginning of your breaking of a pattern there for you, um, uh, Ken. Is that sort of the okay? We don't have to start off with the whole introducing, introducing. Which, by the way, Gridlock. I know a lot of people seem to love that episode of Series Three. I personally was bored with it through the entire thing. Um, the only payoff it really ends up having is at the final thing where we tie up these interesting themes that are woven throughout the series of faith, of uh, belief, of, um, uh, of, you know, loss, uh, you know, being reunited and yet being uh, losing at the same time. Uh, so all these things are kind of woven in there a little bit more cleverly than, say, the Torchwood references of Season 2. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but maybe that's where we're going to see sort of the beginnings of that, as, you, as you're kind of concerned, the breaking of a pattern. But, and maybe that pattern was conscious this time around to kind of show us it is, you know, it's similar, but it's not. And uh, maybe we'll, we'll kind of break that. But, you know, as far as the, the finale not being sort of everything big in peril, you know, I was just looking over so some of the, the finale episodes for some of the seasons past. And, you know, you got to kind of, you kind of go, well, maybe that is a bad thing. But when your, your final episode or final uh, series story was Horns of the Nymon, um <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> You know, or uh, the King's Demons, for example, which was the biggest letdown. Um, well, time Flight, for example, even is a really big letdown. The only thing you got is going, you thought, well, even if you get rid of Adric, but even he pops back up in Time Flight for crying out loud. So, uh, in fairness, many of those things, Horns and Nymon, as an example, wasn't intended to be this this season. Right. Either with King's Demons and some stuff like that. Or, actually, if you really want to have a laugh, but how about Twin Dilemma? I was about to say it, but some people are really defensive of Colin Baker, and, uh, you know, it's like, uh, maybe we just won't go there. And he, you know, yeah, his doctor got very bad short shrift. Oh, no no question there. And that's, uh, you know, uh, but... Uh, you know, much much like um, like Sylvester McCoy to a certain degree, I, I allow, I give them both leeway because it, it their hands were tied. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. Twin Dilemma is not the, uh, Colin Baker's best showcase, but I mean, it's not to the fault of Colin Baker. And it's and it suffers too because it, it was a, it was. I think it, I understand why they were trying this. You know, when you come off of a regeneration story, I think it's really tough to actually try to then continue on in a, a season that way. I just. Uh, you know, you, you you're kind of used to that being the climax. That's the end point. Uh, and then to try to rush into, well, let's introduce this guy now, and then we'll give you however many months between. That's just, yeah, that's, that's, you know, so, yeah, it's not a fault of his, but. Yeah, it's just. I also think it's a little ahead. bit un- unfair to, to compare classic seasons, classic series, uh, cl- um, season finales with the modern one. We're so accustomed over the last decade or so to have these build-ups, which we didn't have with 70s or 80s TV. Uh, only yes. Once in a while did we see that kind of stuff uh, with true. some kind of, uh, you know, cliffhanging finale. Most of the time, most television shows in the 70s and 80s ended the season the same way it began the season. It just was, this, you know, just another episode. episode. And yeah. ha, 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 we all laugh at the end, and then there's a freeze frame with the producers. <laughs> <laughs> You know. Yeah, yeah. Dallas is, uh, you know, it was is interestingly enough that, that it's sort of like nighttime soap operas are what sort of started that, and now that yeah. tends to be the the common for any drama, even Law and Order, starting to get that way for crying out loud. Which that's the show that you're like, no, that shouldn't really need. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. necessarily need story arcs and 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 drop offs, but uh, but and Doctor Who suffers a little bit too because they don't honestly know from one series to the next are they coming back next year. It really is still, I think. You know, you know, we were at the end of series. They were starting what series three, and they still didn't know if they had a series four yet. Um, how do you write that then? And, and you know, so yeah, 
there are a go, we're a go, you know, uh, the, the show has exceeded people's expectations. Uh, everything has gone, has gone very well to this point. We, have, there's not, we haven't heard a single negative uh, in the press or from behind the scenes or anything like that. No one has said, oh, no, I don't know what we're going to do with Doctor Who or where we're going to go or is this the end. You haven't heard a drop of that yet, and there's really no reason to, to think that it's going to stop at this point. I hope I hope not. Although I got to admit, when I first heard that it was going to be Catherine Tate coming back as Donna Noble, I was like, "Oh no, is this the jump the shark moment? Is this the, uh, <laughs> is this you know?" But then again, it does have the the advantage of if if it can continue its popularity. Well, and, you know, in, in speaking of the of the breaking the pattern, if we go with half a companion for half a season and another a different companion for half a season, or or they rotate in and out, or you know, somehow there's We'll have, that you know, multiple companions again. Multiple companions or something like that. That is pattern-breaking to me. Exactly. Even if they went with future, historic, uh, you know, a, a two-parter, uh, Dr. Light, the whole bit, old, old enemy returning. If they went, if the companions went through this fluctuation, yes, that's pattern-breaking to me. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Trevor. That, I'm still shaking up that uh, over the series finale at Quincy MD that was of series two. <laughs> I'm still getting right. over the fawn, so it's okay. But, um. <laughs> All right, thanks again. Cheers. And uh, Lewis, before you take your next uh, phone call, I just wanted to make a quick mention that. Uh, Gallifrey 19 in February 2008. Some of the guests have starting are starting to be announced, uh, such as uh, Ken Deep and James uh, Norton. Annie and James and... Norton. Uh, yeah, no, that, that, for some reason that wasn't on there yet. Oh. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, Sylvester McCoy and uh, and Paul Cornell amongst uh, some of the guests. Oh, for, very uh, good. Just Gallifrey oh. 19, 2008, February 2008. Just wanted to give a, a heads up. Mark your calendar, save the date, and um, I'm sure there's going to be a lot more guests that will be signing up, and we'll be keeping you posted as um, in future podcasts. Oh, Daphne uh, Ashbrook as well from the, the Paul McGann mm-hmm. Very good. All right, we're going to go to our uh, next um, caller, which is um, Lunara, if I'm pronouncing her name right. I'm, I'm sure I'm not. Hello there. Hi. Sorry for the long wait. No problem. How are you guys doing? Um, I just wanted to to talk about some things which, of of course, uh, have been touched upon. But I was just curious, um, especially for this season, which I thought was was really great. uh, And I have to say that uh, I enjoyed this season much better than last season. I think it was due in part to the story arc and uh, the kind of... uh, finales of episodes such as Utopia and uh, Sound of Drums and things, which really kept the momentum going. But even for episodes that I disliked, such as the the season finale, uh, such as the reset button and and things like that, having rewatched them over time seems to have kind of lessened some of the the criticisms that I found. And I was just curious if, um, in hearing some other people speak too, have said that uh, this has kind of helped. Has this kind of helped people to kind of get over some of the, the problems they found, or it's just kind of more glaring in rewatching episodes for people? You're speaking of, um, you know, having some time have passed and then watching it again and um, that initial perhaps shock that you may have had at the first time, now you can swallow it a bit better, that sort of thing? Yes, absolutely. Because I feel like uh, even it's just true what one of the um, earlier callers said about watching them on sci-fi for episodes like uh, Shakespeare Code and things where upon the first watching it by other means, uh, I didn't enjoy the episode at all. I think I found it uh, to be a a bit more entertaining and you can kind of let some of the flaws go. And I feel that there have been like many episodes this season where if you just – if you had um, problems with them, rewatching them a, a couple mm-hmm. of times seems to have kind of, uh, you know, dissipate those, those uh, flaws. You make a good point because what I mentioned earlier in today's podcast, I hadn't seen Love and Monsters in almost a year. And, and, it, and you sort of had this in the back of your mind, boy, I really didn't like that episode. So my guard was really down, you know. And on it comes and it's like, well, okay, this is fun. I know where I am in the story. You know, and I, and, I, and I took it for what it was worth, 
and I wound up enjoying it. Yeah, well, sometimes we, when we're watching a new episode fresh, we have expectations perhaps from the trailer, you know, next from the, what we saw last time or whatever expectations we might have, might have had in our minds. And now that we already, those expectations, you know, aren't really there anymore because we've already seen it and we know what it's about and you can appreciate it for what it is instead of what you may had hoped it was going to be or thought it was going to be. And that puts it in a different perspective. And I know I've done that plenty of times in, in past series of Doctor Who. I, I um, Because of my time, I haven't really had uh, much time to rewatch any of this year's stories as of yet, but I'm sure I will. And once I get the DVD of it, when it comes out, I'll be watching it. But um, I mean, I can go back to like um, 2005 and watching the long game again. And, and my initial take of that was, oh, well, you know, it's a fairly mediocre. But then knowing that going into that, I was able to appreciate on a different level. Plus, we by that time, we had seen um, Bad Wolf, which sort of um, has some um, roots into the long game, and you can kind of appreciate it for, for that as well. So, but yeah, I definitely agree that that, that watching um, episodes again, especially ones that you may have had an issue with or problems with, may um, shed some, you may see it from a different perspective when you watch it again after some time have passed. My other uh, thing that I kind of wanted to talk about um, was just touch upon Martha and her character and how she kind of developed over this season. And kind of rewatching some of the earlier episodes on sci-fi, I almost kind of felt that... well, I, I felt overall that she wasn't really developed as well as she was, considering the role that they had for her in the story arc later on uh, of her saving the doctor numerous times, whether it was uh, mouth-to-mouth resuscitation or CPR or, you know, whatever, and then later on uh, being kind of the the keeper of uh, the fob watch. And, well, not the fob watch, but just um, in general trying to keep her and, and the doctor safe mm-hmm. uh human nature and family of blood, and then her whole, you know, save the world of walking across the earth. It just seems like her character wasn't developed as well, and I almost feel like in watching some of the the earlier episodes of the season again that, you know, she was kind of rejected by the Doctor, not only romantically, but just even as a character, just someone like, yeah, I need to have someone along with me. Yeah, you seem like you're pretty smart, um, but then his rejection of her kind of leads the audience to reject her as a character and and as a companion. So I'm kind of curious what direction Russell's going to go in next season with this character when they do bring her back or uh, if she's doing this uh, three-episode cycle on Torchwood, will they develop her character in in such a way? I almost feel like it's uh, kind of unfair. Uh, She wasn't really given as much of a chance to kind of develop herself in the series, and then now she's gone, which I'm sure a lot of people are are, are happy about and uh, would definitely like to see uh, Sally Sparrow uh, on board for next season. But it's a kind of a, I guess my criticism of, of Russell kind of, just in general, this idea that he sometimes has really great ideas that he doesn't develop thoroughly enough. And, and I think uh, another incident of that is also with the, these these patterns of uh, episodes, you know, episode two is historical, this is that, and then this, you know, like we talked about earlier with the, the epic battles at the end, I almost feel like, especially with um, Last of the Time Lords, he's kind of written himself into a corner that he can't get himself out of without pushing that reset button, and I, I hope that he realizes that, you know, for the next season, uh, you know, you, you can't do that. You really need, I almost feel like you need someone to to pull himself back, kind of. He's great at doing these story arc ideas and, uh, you know, coming up with these uh, things. But when it comes to the actual writing of the episodes, a lot of times I'm very surprised that uh, maybe as being the showrunner, people are kind of a bit of afraid to kind of talk to him and say, you know, this isn't developed well. Or, I mean, I thought that in Doomsday there was a real missed opportunity a war between the Daleks and the Cybermen, which, I mean, could have been really well-developed, but just really wasn't, and kind of overshadowed by the fact that, uh, you know, Rose was leaving. So um, that was one of my concerns about the season. But overall, I mean, I, I really enjoyed the season much more than season two, where I was almost, even though I've been a, a lifelong fan, uh, kind of just really kind of sick of uh, of uh, some of the stories and, and things. But I'm really looking forward to season 
season four. I'm kind of concerned about uh, Donna, but uh, otherwise, I, I still think, even though I have criticisms of Russell, that I mean, the show is in good hands and uh, look forward to what's going on. So, and I just also wanted to say uh, thank you for you guys for doing the pot shock. It's really great, and uh, you make uh, many a work day much easier to bear. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Can I ask quickly before you go, do you agree with Ken and myself that David Tennant has been really great this season? Absolutely, and and I I have to say that um, when he started uh, last year, I I almost I I kind of had a running joke with a friend of mine that you know I almost wanted him to take some Ritalin or something because he was just running around crazy and and I didn't understand uh, you know half the stuff that he was saying. Um, but this season, I really do feel, and I've said to other people, if he doesn't win a BAFTA, this man's been robbed because I think that he's done a great job with uh, the material and just developing the character. And even though I, I had uh, many frustrations with the, the death of the master because he was one of my favorite characters, I thought, you know, he, he really did shine. And in human nature, a tenant definitely shines. So, and, and I feel like, you know, he is my doctor, which I, I don't think I could have said uh, last year and you know that's a high compliment you know from me that you know I, I, I believe him and he is a, a really great actor so well, that's the best praise you does. can give that really isn't it that's the best praise you can give if he's become your doctor yes exactly yeah so on that that's score great. he's been you know excellent well um, thank you so much Lanaya oh, no problem Appreciate and also um, sorry about the mix-up in the openings. Uh, no problem. <laughs> the, the, uh, today's show was opened by Meredith and not yourself. I, I must have gotten the files uh, confused because they came in very close to each other. Oh, no problem at all. No problem. Next time. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Okay. And um, you know, and it's, and as far as what you said about Martha, uh, you know, I, I think she's a, I think she is a great character, though. You, you did touch upon that that her. I think maybe what Russell was doing was Russell T Davies, perhaps. I'm, you know, I can't speak for him. Was maybe trying to um, the reason why the Doctor was more standoffish with her as a character was so that it wouldn't fall into a similar type of relationship that we just had with with Rose. And he, I guess he was trying to make the, this type of this relationship different, so it didn't seem like he was that Martha was just a substitute for Rose. And um, but I hear what you're saying that maybe having him um, distance himself from Martha, maybe the audience, some of the audience felt that way, uh, perhaps as well. Yeah, I don't know. I had heard that, and it does make a lot of sense that you know if the doctor pushed her away, maybe subconsciously the audience pushed her away. Uh, although I found her to be an interesting character, uh, for me the the part that almost screamed out "I'm leaving the show" was when the doctor said, you know, uh, in Sound of Drums, I think it was, where he's like, "It's like when you fancy somebody and they don't even know you're there." It was almost like like slapping her in the face, you yeah, know, saying, "I know how you feel, and I don't really care." And mm-hmm. that was when she said, "The hell with this! After this is over, I'm out of here." You know. And, and, and well, he did that right uh, in the Shakespeare Code as well. The on the famous bed scene, didn't he? You know, or if Rose was here, she'd know what to do. Yeah, and then that's a, that's a, a huge insult. But you know, I think, I mean, and I know people have been very frustrated with the romance at all. And I don't know if it's just kind of growing up in the J and T era that kind of no hanky panky in the TARDIS kind of. <laughs> I I rather have if you want some kind of uh, tension between the Doctor and and you know a female companion or something, and, and have it not be acted upon. But you know, uh-huh. I, I don't want to see him turn into James Bond where he's you know kissing someone in every you know <laughs> episode I'm, or something. You know, Traditionalist when it comes. Oh, now we're losing Ken. It doesn't act like that. It starts to become watered down if that happens all the time. Yeah. And so I go back to a traditional view of the show, which was as a family show, as the type of show it is, as the fact that he's an alien. He's. He's different than us. He has different emotions. And then occasionally, if you sprinkle it in, if you add these kind of things in, um, it, with, a, with a sexual tension a la Mulder Scully in the X-Files, where it was there to be felt, but it was, it, it was always on the, on the edge, on the outside. 
Um, those kind of things are fine because that's what the adults will pick up on. Kids will never pick up on that. But adults will get that and understand there's depth to the show. But, you, you, um, can always, you can always bring Captain Jack in anyway for that. Right. If you, right. If you, Captain Jack... Uh, almost in the uh, in the uh, Ian Chesterton role of he's the the physical male lead, you know, at when whereas Hartnell was the, got to be the doctor and the older, wiser um, advisor, and the younger character did all the action. Well, mm-hmm. Captain Jack should be the action guy. In the first series with Chris Eccleston, he was the guy toting the gun. Yeah. That allowed the doctor to tote the sonic screwdriver. And for the plot mm-hmm. to still move forward when somebody had to get shot, you know. And then, so, so if yes, if you're going to have some romance, throw the ball to Captain Jack. Let him have to deal with that, and let the doctor react to it with those sexual tensions that he maybe he gets a little jealous or he, you know, he he puts on a face or something. But after that, it needs to drop and it, and it needs to move the, the show yeah, needs to I, forward. The the best way I can kind of describe it, if you go, if you, if you look at the original Star Trek series with the character Spock, which was immensely popular character, where he wasn't, you know, um, his his emotions obviously were kept intact, and you had Christine Chapel that had um, feelings for him, but you know he had to keep it. You know, there was a few episodes where, because of whatever happened, his guard went down, and and he was able to display, um, you know, you get a little bit more into his emotions, and and because he. Is, he is half human. Uh, I mean, the doctor is an alien, and, and um, you know, and I think he is, um, his passions are perhaps are slightly different than humans are, and um, and and I, I just don't want to humanize him too much. Absolutely, and that's one of my concerns is that I kind of was a little bit concerned this season. You know, they kept dropping, uh, you know, well, they've been dropping hints all along, you know, last season about, you know, him having children and this uh, season in Blink about, you know, him always being late to weddings, you know, especially his own and and things like that. And, you know, I understand if you want to drop some of those things for a kind of mystery, but I think, you know, this idea of him falling in love with all of these people all the time, and and I I know there are, you know, tons of people who, uh, you know, love the idea of uh, a tenant's doctor and Rose being this one true pairing kind of thing, but, you know, the fact that this 900-year-old uh, alien with all the intelligence of the universe is going to fall in love with a 19-year-old girl from council estate in London, it might sound like a wonderful all-time romance for a Harlequin novel, but, you know, it just does not fly on, you know, yeah. Doctor Who, so mm-hmm. I just, you know, hope that... Um, you know, if they're going to develop characters and the companions, and, and however they develop Donna, I, I, I just hope that Russell kind of uh, hangs up his romance hat, so to speak. <laughs> well, I, I I don't know. I mean, we didn't see any inkling of that, you know, in the Runaway Bride. So hopefully, um, you know, that that's won't be an issue. Yeah, they'll take the character in a different direction. Is yeah. what you're hoping for, and I, and I think I think that's something we're all hoping for, and. And you know what? Let's let's also be fair. We we thought that we were going to hate Donna or Catherine Tate, and actually, uh, maybe it's because we knew it was it was very finite. It was only for one story that we liked her or accepted her in in um, in her story in the Runaway Bride. Um, and then now you know, there's a little bit of a backlash that oh geez we're getting Donna back. You know, let's let's keep an open mind about this. Maybe they're going to take it in an interesting direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've been wrong no, about things before, so... But there's always backlash about companions, and you know the one thing that is a constant on Doctor Who is change, change of companions, change of the Doctor, and there's always a, a kind of uh, growing pains kind of um, area where you you have to get used to a new companion. It, you know, one of my I think problems is you know just I'm kind of tired of having to introduce characters again. So in a strange way, it is good that they have Donna back. We don't have to go through all the you know rigmarole with it's bigger, it's bigger on the inside than the outside. Like, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you just have to, uh, you know, give people a chance. And I have to say, I mean, for someone who has her own show, I was surprised that she decided to take on the, you know, an entire season. I mean, they say that uh, filming is very rigorous and, you know, it takes a lot of time. So, yeah. But also, like, with, with Kylie Minogue now being, uh, you know, the guest star in, in uh Voyage of the Damned, these are big stars whose kids 
are into the show or maybe they grew up enjoying the show, you know darn well if they ask anybody on this podcast, anyone who's listening right this second, would you like to be on Doctor Who? What will we do? We would, we would, uh, what time do you want me there? We'd be there in a heartbeat. Because it, it, people feel very passionate about it. They really want to be part of it. They think there's magic to it. And they're right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Although, I, I mean, I, I kind of feel sorry for uh, John Sims' son. I'm, I'm sure his kids will, his, well, his, his son's friends will not want to come to the house. You <laughs> <laughs> also explain something that, that I feel about a show like Doctor Who and, and, and guest stars coming over. And the same thing happened with, with the Star Trek spinoffs uh, to a certain degree. When, you, when you're a guest star on, on Evening Soap, or on a sitcom, people go, oh, great, look who's on this week's episode. That's fun. And then by the, the day after the episode, they talk about it. Did you see who was on last night's show? But a week later, no one gives a damn. Doctor Who fans will know that Kylie Minogue was in Doctor Who. Whether we live to a 1,000 years old, we'll be like, do you remember when Kylie Minogue was in The Voyage of the Damned? And, like, all of a sudden now I'm on, I'm on iTunes looking at her songs and stuff, and it's like... It's brilliant. You know, there's 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 something more to sci-fi fans, to Doctor Who fans. We 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 take an interest. We start to um, we remember their appearance. It's important to us. It's a different type of fandom. You know, so you'll be famous forever, and, and if you ever decide in the future you want to do a convention or something, you can. And, and I suppose it's a kind of marketing in a way, too, to a different uh, group of people. I almost wonder if uh, Doctor Who's becoming kind of like Harry Potter, where, like, you know, every British actor or something is, you know, somehow trails through, you know, Doctor mm-hmm. Who at some point in the future, you know, which is great because it's, it's gotten to the point where, you know, people want to be on it. like that. Yeah. yeah. We shouldn't think that this is a new phenomenon. It was always like that, going back to John Cleese and City of Death, or Julian Glover and the Crusades, and it goes on and on and on, where Big Star said, I'll step aboard, I want to be a part of it. Yeah, usually it's a, it's a thrill just to be on it, and, and now, the, and, and today it gives them street cred. <laughs> <laughs> it gives them sci-fi street cred. Yes. All right, well, um, we're gonna, we've still got a couple of callers in the ring, so in the wing, <laughs> so we're going uh, to get to them. Thanks again. They've got their gloves on, though. Yeah. It's, it's the master that's in the ring, Lewis. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, thanks again. No problem. Next up is uh, Tin Dog from the Tin Dog Podcast. Hi. Hello. Hi, Tin. Can you hear me? Hey. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Finally, I get everything working. Glad to have uh, you on board. Good. Well, sorry, we're running um, out of time now. We've got to stop. <laughs> <laughs> no, fair enough. Well, as you know, my podcast is usually about two minutes long anyway, so that's fine. <laughs> what a contrast. Well, um, uh, well, let's not go there. <laughs> no, I've been trying to get my, uh, You were supposed to keep the show under um, an, uh, to an hour. What's going on? I blame it on Colin. Moving on. I, compl- I hold him completely um, responsible for that. <laughs> well, well, let me talk. Let me talk about the entire season. Oh, no, let's not. <laughs> no. Uh, Why don't you start with, with, with 2005 and just work your way up? <laughs> yeah, it's probably best. I'll catch up. Well, that's it. No. Actually, that's a pretty good place to start. Because you, um, you, you want to compare Doomsday with the end of this season. And although there's lots of themes that repeat, but, you know... It was so much better, the end of Doomsday, even if there was a whole Daleks versus Cybermen, which was a bit fanboy, let's face it. Well, I don't know. What did you think? Have I I got... (laughs) Oh, no, sorry. I'm just rambling insanely, which is... No, no, no. Obviously, it's something that was never done before, and they figured, well, this is an opportunity to finally get these two icons of Doctor Who together and, and, and um, you know, on screen at the same time. I, I don't know if, if it was a success or not, um, but, you know, it, it's something perhaps, you're right, yeah, it's perhaps pandering to the, maybe the kid in all of us that had that thought in mind watching the original series. I don't know. Yeah, Daleks versus, versus Cyberman is a lot like Freddy versus Jason. It'll be fun to watch, but not something you want to see a lot. Yeah, and then of course you just sort of sat there going, "Yeah, but they're not real Cybermen." Can we I, well, that was Cybermen my next point. The well, that, that's that's alternate Cybermen, not the Cybermen. 
mean, even the Daleks go, well, they look a bit like the inferior Cybermen, and you're sitting there going, yeah, they do. Bring on the real guys in the not particularly exciting rubber suits. Uh, but that was the past. Anyway. Well, maybe that will be um, the returning villain next, next year. We, you know, we keep saying, <laughs> okay, it's going to be Centaurans, whatever. Maybe it will be the Cybermen, the real Cybermen. I'm pulling for Daleks versus Rupan. We can Rupin. dream. <laughs> I still think the family of blood were Rutans in disguise. Yeah. Uh, right. Um, I must admit, what I did today was I thought, I was sitting in the car, and I thought, I'll make a list of all the episodes so I could make some notes for tonight's show. And I thought, hang on, I haven't got an episode guide on me. So I just sort of wrote all the episodes down in order from my head, and I realized um, that I, was, I wasn't writing them down in order. I was writing them down in order that I remembered them. Mm-hmm. And it kind of went, well, are these my favorite episodes, or are these just ones that are the most memorable? And I started realizing they were ones that I could, I'd rewatched the most. And I obviously started the list with, I'll write down Human Nature and Family of Blood. They're my favorite. And the one that I left till last, the one I couldn't remember, was Blink. And that came as an enormous surprise to me. And I know that I've had a cold this week, hence the state of my current voice. But I was very surprised to realize that I couldn't remember Blink. I was going, there's one fit in there. Where's it? Why is it not in the right place? And there was a big space on my list. And I know that Blink wasn't Love and Monsters, which we're all eternally grateful for, but it was <laughs> Dr. Light, and I think that's probably what, what led me to not think mm-hmm. about it. It's still Doctor Who. It's got time travel. It's got all of those lovely moments, but it didn't have ongoing theme. And I was going through the big list again, and, oh, I just need to say it. 42. I know a lot of people have got issue with the whole, it's a living sun, but I really have no problems with that. It's science fiction. How can we possibly know what everything is in the universe? Well, and I'm sorry. <laughs> I just wanted to say that since I sure. didn't want to talk about it during the episode. Um, and of course, my theories on Lazarus and everybody. I still thought that Mark Gatiss would be hanging on to play the Doctor at some point. Sorry, I'm all over the place today. Probably the cold, probably just the fact that my notes are seem to be written in hieroglyphics. But, um, <laughs> I don't know, I always thought Lazarus, the story could have been so much better, but it was very well executed. But killing Mark Gatiss off three times, you just kind of get the feeling that he was going, no, really, can I just come back? Can I just play the doctor for a bit? <laughs> oh, no, I'll play the monster, it's fine. It's fine. Now, I don't know if this is true, but is Mark Gatiss trying to get Adam Adamant lives off the ground? Because I don't know if the Americans have seen Adam and Adam, Adam Adamant, but it's very similar in concept to Austin Powers, only without the gags. You know, um, Edwardian guy mm-hmm. wakes, wakes up frozen in ice, and I don't oh, really? know if that's another idea for the BBC. Because I wanted, um, I wanted Mark to take over either from David Tennant or from Russell, but it looks like we're heading much more in the direction of, um, of Moffat taking over from him. I mean, that's why I think most of the confidential was taken up with an interview with Moffat, just to introduce him to the fans who weren't familiar with him. I just don't know. I mean, let's face it, you give Moffat the Jekyll project just to prove his worth and say that he's really good at it so that he can put in time in that role in order to prove to everyone that he would be good enough to do Doctor Who. So I just don't know. I, I would still like Mark to at least partake in that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there's some of my thoughts. And the rest of it, I mean, my favorite episode of this season for me was Infinite Quest. Probably not the most popular of choices, but I'm really? a big fan of animation. Yeah, yeah. I, I really like the way... When you watch the Omnibus all in one go, I like mm-hmm. the way that... All right, I like alien planets. I like aliens that look like aliens, and I'll take them wherever I can. I'm a big, yeah. big Finnish fan, so that's all right. Mm-hmm. Now, I know some of the animation wasn't great, but I can live with that. And yeah, of course, we... my problem with Last of the Time Lords was sitting with Dobby the House Doctor. Well, it, I know, and the fact that the Last of the Time Lords was just so lifted from other sources. Let's face it, Doctor Who's been doing that for years, so let's not pick at that particular scab. Yeah, yeah. Too many stories with too many other references. But we can live with that. I think it's because the sound of drums built up so much and we were expecting so much and we ended up with the payoff that was just a little bit too religious. Yeah. And oddly, when I was making this list of all of the episodes that were most memorable to me, one of the ones that came out near the end was the Dalek story. And I was sort of sitting going, how can I have forgotten about the Dalek stories? I think it's because I just haven't rewatched them. They weren't marvellous to me. They were just acceptable nonsense. The whole Dalek 
retreading of the, of the Troughton stories, you know, giving the, the Dalek code to the English, to the, not the English, what am I saying, to the human beings, um, just didn't work for me. Mind you, I am glad that they've gone back to racial purity rather than that religious fundamentalism nonsense that was at the end of season one. That, that, that really didn't feel good to me. That they'd mm -hmm. gone all kind of we worship him and the emperor thing. It, it just yeah. it just felt that the original Daleks were the Nazis, and now they'd gone for who were the big evil people in the world that people can relate to. Oh, they're religious people, and that's how it felt. It'd gone, and, and that felt cheap to me. So I was glad we'd gone back to the original. We are racial purity. We are <laughs> destined to take over everything. It was nice to turn that, but I don't know. <sighs> I liked this season. I was very pleased. I mean, let's face it, it's Doctor Who. I'd rather watch bad Doctor Who than good almost anything else. A bit like most of, well, I think every listener to this. <laughs> so they're my thoughts. I'm sorry that I've rambled again, as mm. always. One end of the uh, mental Saxon. But well, please again, let, let everyone know how oh, um, they can listen to your podcast, the Tin Dog Podcast. Well, if you want to go uh, to the Tinder podcast, just go to iTunes, type in Doctor Who, and I'm one of the options, uh, or type in Tin Dog. There's also a website if you want. It's www.tin-dog.co.uk, I think it is. Uh, no links are on there. It's just me talking about Doctor Who. It's nice that some people listen. Yes, it, uh, I, I have feedback of almost one email a week. It's extremely exciting. <laughs> it's great. Everyone to check it out. Oh, Sorry? I, can? I said that we have to help you increase some popularity then. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna fire up the computer no. and subscribe in the next five minutes. So. Yeah, check out no, the I'm just some podcast, uh, more Doctor Who and you can never get your fill of Doctor Who um I so can. And, and you, you said it best. You said I'd rather watch bad Doctor Who than just about anything else. You know, I would no, that's rather definitely watch my thoughts. Love and Monsters on repeat for 12 hours than ever watch this reality show we have in the United States with people on a pirate ship. Uh, oh, I know. They've started showing that in England, and it's on Sky. Oh, my God, the commercials. Please make it go away. Um, I'm sort of sitting there going... Why is he advertising this again? Get the message. We don't want to watch. Mm. I found it interesting that you that you uh, you thought that the infinite you felt very strongly about the infinite quest, and I think that's great. And actually, Joe uh, Omega, who spoke a little bit earlier, uh, was mentioning to me the other day that you know we started the, sh the series one, we had 13 episodes, and then David Tennant's first year, we had the addition of the Christmas special, so we got 14. And now with the addition of the the uh, Infinite, Quest. Infinite Quest with the Omnibus, we actually had 15 episodes this season. I know, I know, it's wonderful. I was thinking the other day that if you want to compare Doctor Who to Star Trek, now's the best time to ever do it. You've got the classic series, which goes up against your Shatner era. This series you could class as Doctor Who, the next generation. You know, it returns after a few years even better. And uh, Does that make Torch with Deep Space Nine? Or Sarah Jane Smith? Does that make that Voyager? Well, we can get back to you on that one. Sarah Jane's more like Enterprise. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry. So, no, I'd that's like all right. to apologize. It's cold I've had. <laughs> it's okay. I want to thank you for being part of our show. And uh, once again, absolutely no problem. I wanted to partake. In... Well, I'm glad you're here. I wanted to partake for a long time. No, right. thanks for your hard work. Thank, thank you. you. See you soon. All right. Bye -bye. Take care. Cheers. Uh, now, last, our last caller here, last but not least, is someone that you, we've all heard before, and you'll hear again, Mr. Darth Skeptical. Ah! Oh. Yeah, Darth, are you there? Hey, guys. Uh, I hope you can hear me. I don't know. I'm on an odd connection this week. Darth is with a tin can tied to a string, <laughs> plugged into the internet. Am I right? Is it that bad? No, no, no. It's, oh, it's, it's, a, it's okay. It's a little tinny, but right. dog-ish. Well, 
<laughs> cool. Well, I'm sorry to end on bad audio, but I guess that no, no, you're the fine. Season yeah. review, since I've had bad audio the whole season long. Um, I don't know. You know, I've not really been able to listen to too much of today's uh, discussion, so I don't know if I'm going to go over ground that has been gone over before. But I have to say uh, that this is indeed my very favorite series of Doctor Who, um, not just since the revival, but of all time. I have thoroughly enjoyed the integration of the seasonal themes this year in a way that I couldn't the last two years, because in year one, I think the seasonal theme of Bad Wolf was poorly developed. In season two, I think it was just an advertisement. Um, it's only really here that we've had genuine themes that have been dropped in subtly and reinforced, not just through visual design, but through uh, story point and through character development as well. And uh, a large part of the success of this season has been the continued development of Martha, who I think is uh, among the most startling companions ever uh, to be in front of us in, uh, in terms of Doctor Who. I think that she has... If we are to compare the two regular companions that we've had so far to the past, I think that uh, uh, Rose was probably our Joe Grant, and that Martha is probably our Sarah Jane. Um, I found the romantic aspect of Martha's character refreshing because it made sense. I mean, why would she not have some sort of romantic affection for the Doctor? Why, indeed, would the doctor not also reject her, and why would she not, in the end, reject him? I think it was a very logical development throughout the season that was dropped in here and there where it was story appropriate. And when it came, it was much more of a um, shock and disappointment to me, and yet at the same time uh, a reason to like Martha all the more than was Rose's departure at the same mm -hmm. time last year. I also think that this season has been one of taking greater risks than we did last season. Um, maybe, I'm not sure that you could say that we were taking greater risks than season one, but we were certainly taking equal risks to season one. I, I thought that most of the story, in fact, all of the stories that came down the pike this time were considerably more original than their counterparts last season. And even the season's biggest failure, which I think was probably the Dalek story, um, had some breathtaking moments of not only originality, but uh, hearkening back to um, season five of the original series that made it at least very interesting to watch. I think the conclusion may have been weak, but it... It held my attention the entire way through, and I found that to be the, its greatest asset. And I can't wait to see what some of the writers that have joined us this season are going to do next season, like Helen Rayner and like Gareth Roberts, who I think have acquitted themselves quite well. Um, I'm glad to see that um, Moffat has continued in his tradition of giving us some great stuff, and I'm excited to see him return as well next year. And I'm glad to see also that next year we'll have a couple of new faces among the writers as well. So for me, this season was a triumph not only for what we got to see within the main program itself, but also within all the ancillary programs as well. Um, it's been a great season for Doctor Who comics. It's been a great season for Total Doctor it's been a great season for Doctor Confidential. Each one of those other two programs have, I think, outdone themselves as well over their previous year. Um, and I'm just happy that the franchise is alive. It's growing well. It's had a better year this year and seems to be on a course to be even better next year, that the entire Doctor Who experience is continuing to grow. I would never in a million years have thought when I was growing up that we were going to see Doctor Who be this big, be this good, and be something that people will find interesting now. So I'm very excited. Uh, I, I, I love everything about this season. And, you know, I, the disappointments that people have found in this season have largely been ones that I have not found myself. 
Certainly, I think that the Master Trilogy was way better than a lot of people seem to have thought that it was. And I enjoyed the religious overtones of this entire season in a way that really shocked me. I think what's interesting maybe about last season and the season before that is that it was the plots of things that were interesting and revolutionary. Here, I think in this season, it's the themes that have been interesting. And that, to, to, to think that Doctor Who themes could be something that would affect you as a viewer, it's just entirely foreign to the experience of Doctor Who of the past. Because really, themes have been thin on the ground in classic Doctor Who. But here, it's all about theme, and I think the theme has been one that's been worthy to explore. So, for me, this is the best season ever, and I'll leave you with those comments. Well, thank you so much, Darth. Um, great insights and um, and perspective there of, of the series, and I think I think you hit upon a lot of things that um, that are very exciting. You know that we are at a point now where. Uh, who would have thought, you know, a few years ago, forget about, you know, <laughs> five years ago, we would never have thought that the series would be um, so um, widespread as it. I mean, right now, the Sci-Fi Channel in the U.S. is showing um, Series 3. I mean, right on the heels of the conclusion of it being transmitted on the BBC, usually in the States, you have to wait a long stretch of time before you get to see the new episodes. So I, I think it's um, it's it's a great time to be a Doctor Who fan, if I can borrow the phrase, that Ken had, um, has, has trademark. <laughs> Ken, I got your permission? Yes, you have my permission. Now, only, oh, if yeah. I, only if I could trademark the Darth Skeptical, only you can be so bold. As <laughs> <laughs> um, and I also have to say, I, I always appreciate when Darth comes on board and, and gives us counterpoint like he does, because a, a lot of times I know mm-hmm. Lewis has very strong feelings about this. He doesn't want it to sound like we all have the same opinion of it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I, because I, I think that opposing opinions of what challenges us, we go back and we rewatch the episode and make us think things through. And, and you know, this, unfortunately, it was one of the few shows I watch on television, and I watch it over and over again. So in order to keep me going, I, I have to view, view it from different points of view. I just think that it's great that modern modern Doctor Who and maybe this season in particular has admitted of so much rewatching and so much uh, reinterpretation when we rewatch it. I don't think that there's you know that much divergence of opinion. For instance, about I don't know Seeds of Doom. It's a fairly straightforward plot. It's a great plot, but it's fairly straightforward. A to B to C, and that's it. Um, but these episodes, you know, have a life, especially in this series, have had a life in and of themselves. And then they might bear different fruit when you watch them in the context of the uh, episodes that are around them immediately. And then they might have a different uh, tonality when you watch it in context of the whole season. I think that that's Russell T. Davies' greatest strength is that he is able to gather different meanings from the same pieces of work depending upon how you're viewing them. Uh, so that, that's I, I, I hope that will be one of the la- lasting legacies of series three here. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree. I, you, um, you can appreciate these stories on various different levels. Where uh, I mean, I'm not saying you can't do that with traditional Doctor Who, but it seems even more so today, where it, it's much more richly layered. And, um, and you know, and the fact that we can go on about it for over two hours in this podcast is um, testimony to that. You know, I can't think of any other past series or the classic series that we could actually make. Well, we probably could, but. <laughs> All right. Well, um, let's um, wrap things up here. Um, and, you know, I just uh, on a, um, just reviewing this past series um, and and saying the, the, stating the quality of it. Uh, I know one of my ongoing gripes has been with the series return was that they ha- there's, there's just not enough off-Earth stories. And this past series, we've only had, um, it, depending on whether or not you count New Earth as off-Earth or not, if so, you had two or three, possibly at most, stories that take place 
you know, outside of um, the confines of Earth. And you know what? It didn't really seem—I didn't really seem to mind this this year. It just seemed like the stories really were all compelling, and and um, I, I don't know. I just—but well, maybe I've just come to accept it more. But I, I thought that was a testimony to the quality of the series um, this year. Any? Does anyone have any other last comments before we conclude the show? I just wanted to say that um, I have Martha Jones as a MySpace friend, and in her blog this week, she says that um, she got an email from someone offering her a job uh, after she gets her doctor stuff squared away, and you'll never guess who it is or what it says. So I wonder who that could be. Mm. <laughs> Perhaps uh, a certain captain. <laughs> Probably. Um, well, I'd like to thank everyone that was involved with today's show, um, starting from Don um, Skeptical, who just um, just spoke before. West, thank you so much. Colin, Joe, thank you. Ken, oh, thank you. Thanks for everyone that had called in. And Dave, I'm, I knew I was forgetting someone there. No, oh, thanks, Lewis. Enjoyed it. It's um. When I, I, you know, just as I posted in the forums that our podcast will be getting shorter and more concise in time, we this is the longest live show we've done. So, but this was a series of you know wrap up, and I guess it was to be expected. So, um, we haven't really um, determined our schedule for live uh, podcasts for the future. They may go bi-weekly or monthly. Uh, make sure you go to pod, uh, Make sure you go to podshock.net or gallifreyembassy.org for information on when the next live um, episode will be coming up, I'm sure, and we'll post it here on TalkShoe as well, TalkShoe.com. Uh, we will be, we have a studio podcast in the can, so to speak, that we, needs to go into post-production that will be out soon. We'll be doing more studio shows, but the, the live shows aren't, you know, ending. We just, it's just going to go into a different schedule. So thank you once again for everyone. That's, and thanks for listening. Um, make sure you come back next time for more interesting Doctor Who discussions and whatnot. Cheers. Come out and join us this Sunday, July 29th, for another live episode of Doctor Who Podshock when we ask you why you are a Doctor Who fan. Once again, that's this Sunday, July 29th at 1 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time in the U.S. See you there on TalkShoe.com. You have been listening to Doctor Who Podshock live by the fan-run GallifreyEmbassy.org and presented by Outpost Gallifrey at Gallifrey1.com. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Come back next week for another exciting and informative episode of Doctor Who Podshock. You can email us at feedback at podshock.net. I am usually referred to as the master.